Section 164 of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son, read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter 196. London, February 15, 1754. My dear friend, I can now with great truth apply your own motto to you, Nullum numen abest si sit prudentia. You are sure of being, as early as your age will permit, a member of that house, which is the only road to figure and fortune in this country. Those, indeed, who are bred up to, and distinguish themselves in particular professions, as the army, the navy, and the law, may by their own merit raise themselves to a certain degree. But you may observe, too, that they never get to the top without the assistance of parliamentary talents and influence. The means of distinguishing yourself in Parliament are, as I told you in my last, much more easily attained than I believe you imagine. Close attendance to the business of the House will soon give you the parliamentary routine, and strict attention to your style will soon make you, not only a speaker, but a good one. The vulgar look upon a man who is reckoned a fine speaker as a phenomenon, a supernatural being, and endowed with some peculiar gift of heaven. They stare at him, if he walks in the park, and cry, That is he. You will, I am sure, view him in a juster light, and nulla formidine. You will consider him only as a man of good sense, who adorns common thoughts with the graces of elocution, and the elegance of style. The miracle will then cease, and you will be convinced that with the same application and attention to the same objects, you may certainly equal, and perhaps surpass, this prodigy. Sir W.Y., with not a quarter of your parts, and not a thousandth part of your knowledge, has, by a glibness of tongue simply, raised him successively to the best employments of the kingdom. He has been Lord of the Admiralty, Lord of the Treasury, Secretary at War, and is now Vice-Treasurer of Ireland, and all this with a most sullied, not to say blasted, character. Represent the thing to yourself as it really is, easily attainable, and you will find it so. Have but ambition enough passionately to desire the object, and spirit enough to use the means, and I will be answerable for your success. When I was younger than you are, I resolved within myself that I would in all events be a speaker in Parliament, and a good one too, if I could. I consequently never lost sight of that object, and never neglected any of the means that I thought led to it. I succeeded to a certain degree, and I assure you with great ease, and with superior talents. Young people are very apt to overrate both men and things, from not being enough acquainted with them. In proportion as you come to know them better, you will value them less. You will find that reason, which always ought to direct mankind, seldom does, but that passions and weaknesses commonly usurp its seat, and rule in its stead. You will find that the ablest have their weak sides, too, and are only comparatively able, with regard to the still weaker herd. Having fewer weaknesses themselves, they are able to avail themselves of the innumerable ones of the generality of mankind. Being more masters of themselves, they become more easily masters of others. They address themselves to their weaknesses, their senses, their passions, never to their reason, and consequently seldom fail of success. But then, analyze those great, those governing, as the vulgar imagine, those perfect characters, and you will find the great Brutus a thief in Macedonia, the great Cardinal Richelieu a jealous potester, and the great Duke of Marlborough a miser. Till you come to know mankind by your own experience, I know no thing, nor no man, that can in the meantime bring you so well acquainted with them as le Duc de la Rochefoucauld. 
his little book of maxims, which I would advise you to look into, for some moments at least, every day of your life, is, I fear, too like and too exact a picture of human nature. I own it seems to degrade it, but yet my experience does not convince me that it degrades it unjustly. Now to bring all this home to my first point. All these considerations should not only invite you to attempt to make a figure in Parliament, but encourage you to hope that you shall succeed. To govern mankind, one must not overrate them, and to please an audience as a speaker, one must not overvalue it. When I first came into the House of Commons, I respected that assembly as a venerable one, and felt a certain awe upon me, but upon better acquaintance that awe soon vanished, and I discovered that of the five hundred and sixty, not above thirty could understand reason, and that all the rest were peuple, that those thirty only required plain common sense, dressed up in good language, that all the others only required flowing and harmonious periods, whether they conveyed any meaning or not, having ears to hear, but not sense enough to judge. These considerations made me speak with little concern the first time, with less the second, and with none at all the third. I gave myself no further trouble about anything except my elocution and my style, presuming without much vanity that I had common sense sufficient not to talk nonsense. Fix these three truths strongly in your mind. First, that it is absolutely necessary for you to speak in Parliament. Secondly, that it only requires a little human attention and no supernatural gifts. And thirdly, that you have all the reason in the world to think that you shall speak well. When we meet, this shall be the principal subject of our conversations, and if you will follow my advice, I will answer for your success. Now from great things to little ones. The transition to me is easy, because nothing seems little to me that can be of any use to you. I hope you take great care of your mouth and teeth, and that you clean them well every morning with a sponge and tepid water, with a few drops of arquebusade water dropped into it, besides washing your mouth carefully after every meal. I do insist upon your never using those sticks, or any hard substance whatsoever, which always rub the gums and destroy the varnish of the teeth. I speak this from woeful experience, for my negligence of my teeth, when I was younger than you are, made them bad, and afterward my desire to have them look better made me use sticks, irons, etc., which totally destroyed them, so that I have not now above six or seven left. I lost one this morning which suggested this advice to you. I have received the tremendous wild boar, which your still more tremendous arm slew in the immense deserts of the Palatinate, but have not yet tasted of it. It is hitherto above my low regimen. The late king of Prussia, whenever he killed any number of wild boars, used to oblige the Jews to buy them at a high price, though they could eat none of them, so they defrayed the expense of his hunting. His son has juster rules of government, as the Code Frederick plainly shows. I hope that, by this time, you are as well ancre at Berlin as you were at Munich, but if not, you are sure of being so at Dresden. Adieu. End of section 164. Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.